remain standing, I'm going to pray. Father God, we have come to a time in America where, again, we're fighting for liberty. We're fighting, again, for freedom. This time, our enemy is within. This time, our enemy is among us, and they have decided to take out your project and your nation. I'm asking you to use this church, use us, and raise up again the people of this nation to stand against wrong and immorality and the tyranny that's trying to take us down. We're going to need your grace. We're going to need your wisdom. I believe that you gave us this nation, and I believe that you'll help us preserve it. I'm asking you again to bless our country. I'm asking you to put the politicians in place that we need that are moral and godly and remove the ones that are ungodly and immoral. I ask you right now, expose all corruption in our government and even in our churches. And Father God, cause us as Americans to appreciate what you have done and to use the time we have here before you return wisely and use our freedoms to win the lost and preach the gospel in this nation and abroad. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, hallelujah. You can be seated. Isn't God good? You know, you have to understand that days like today, sometimes sermons are not, they're not easy because in all reality, I wished I had about four or five hours just to start, but I don't. So I'm going to do my best, but I have a, a direction I believe God wants me to go. America, when, you know, when I began to pray about today, I began to think about 1776, and I heard um, someone from Kenneth Copeland Ministries, um, Barry Tubbs, as a matter of fact, on a website, and he made a statement. He said, what started the Revolutionary War? Why did our forefathers fight like they did? We would say because of taxation without representation. We would, we would say a lot of things, and even though those are true, there is, there is and was and something underlying the reason to take up arms and fight. And I want to show you why. I went back to the Mayflower in, where uh, our forefathers landed here in 1620, created what we call the Mayflower Compact, which was the precursor to our Constitution. For 100, let me see if I got this down right, 156 years, maybe we weren't a country yet in the eyes of having our own government but we were free. Americans did something only two nations in the history of the world have ever done, and that is to create a nation where the, pe- where the people are the government. It has never been done before, and it's only been done twice. I want to share a little bit about how God started this nation and how much his hand has been in it. We often hear about the pilgrims coming over to America and settling here to, to have freedom. 
But what many people don't know is that before they came here, they left Europe and they went to Amsterdam. Divine providence wanted them to go to Amsterdam first. Why? When they got to Amsterdam, they, they moved in among Jews. When they moved in among the Jews, the Jews there taught the Christians how God set up government in Israel to where, the, where he didn't need a ruler over them, the people ruled themselves. The idea came out of Amsterdam, and then God turned them loose and sent them to America. Now, there was another miracle, and, and you have to ask these questions. Out of all this that happened, how interested was God in this nation? So I'm going to tell you another story. When the pilgrims landed, how was it they were met by an English-speaking Indian? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what are the chances of them landing on a rock and an Indian walking out of the woods and saying, Hi, y'all. Slim to none. One in a hundred million? But yet God in his providence, years and years before the pilgrims landed, had, um, what is his name? Um, Squanto. He was captured and taken to England where he learned English. The monks there got a hold of him and realized that his slavery was wrong and they bought him. And they got him back to America. And when he came here, he found out his tribe was wiped out by disease. And he was alone. And God had him there waiting on America to be birthed. This isn't 1776. The, the idea that God wanted a nation to be a city set on a hill for the world to see began a long time ago. I have good news. He's not done with us. But we are in a war. Now, I, I put up this little Lexington Green. Many of you may not know what I'm about to share with you right now. Every year, Lisa and I, on our anniversary, we're born, we were born. Well, we were born. We were born when we got saved. We were kids. Um, we got married May the 3rd, 1986, and we've always gone to an island. We, we, we went to Jamaica on our honeymoon. Um, we've been to the Caribbean. We've been to St. Thomas. We've been, we've been, if there's water and sand and suntan lotion, we usually are there on our anniversary. Well, this year, Lisa looked at me and she said, what do you want to do? I said, you really want to know what I want to do? I said, I want to go to Boston and walk the Freedom Trail. And I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm going to do that by myself. She said, no, I want to do it. I've always been extremely interested in my nation and what God did here. Not just America, but what God did. And, and I walked the trail. We, we, we enjoyed it. We went to Lexington Green. Um, that's Colonel Parker there. The, that's Buckham Palace, a, a tavern in the back. 
but um, that's but the, that's Jonas Clark's church. I didn't know if you knew that. All of the Minutemen came out of out of the local churches, and the pastors were the ones that were writing sermons about government that became the Constitution. A lot of people don't know this part of history. So I wanted to go there and, and walk it, and, and we went to Paul Revere's house, and his horse is not there, it's gone. And they said it died a little while ago. Anyway, we, got, we went to a tavern where, where they met right before they, Paul Revere's ride. We didn't have a beer, but we had oysters. And um, anyway, it was very interesting to walk it. We learned so much history that I didn't know. In other words, did you know how many people met in the, the building before the Boston Tea Party? To how many people showed up? How many do you think? F- several thousand. And, and there were so many men, there wasn't a woman in the building. And many people were outside. This was not a small thing that went on up there. And the people there, and so why did they do it? Because they had had freedom for 156 years. And they weren't about to give it up. And I'm going to make a statement before I go on. I'm not either. God did not design us, no man, to be a slave to another man. And, and, and Christianity uh, has been the greatest witness to the world, and God has used America. And why do people want to come here? Because of our freedom. And you and I are at a time where we're going to have to stand for it again. So I want to read a few quotes uh, that I got from Thomas Jefferson because I love history. So bear with me for just a few minutes. I know that you'll enjoy this. Thomas Jefferson, I predict happiness to Americans if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. That's a 200-year-old a quote. And I thought, good Lord, he wrote that yesterday. Okay. Look at this one, and when you do, think of Facebook, where the press is free and every man able to read, all are safe. You know, the only thing keeping you in bondage is ignorance. Yeah, you might want to turn TV off because you're just getting ignorant. <laughs> if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of, of um, I can't even write my own writing, um, civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. You can't stay ignorant. You can't just, be, you can't go, I don't know what's going on. You better learn. I love this one, and now we all could say this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men were created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Here's another quote. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, and his justice cannot sleep forever. He will not sit back forever and let what goes on go on. Now, here's another one that you may not agree with. I pray that I don't see it, I think I will. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is natural manure. I'm just, I'm just quoting. Don't, don't, don't. 
and your kids are going to go home and say, Mama, what's manure? All right. It's fertilizer. All right, I, I saved my best one to last, and I want to take this one, Justin, put it on a card, or I should say Nikki. Democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb <laughs> contesting the vote. If you didn't get that, your wood is wet. Get your Bible out and go to Luke chapter 10. All of us in this room are aware that we are in perilous times. And you know what? And part of, part of me is okay with that. And part of me is like, oh, Lord. Amen. So here's been my question. And I've had this question and I have prayed it. And I have prayed about this a lot. What do you want us to do? Have you asked that? What, God, what do you want us to do? I want to know that. I mean, I don't, I don't want a war. I don't want a war. Brother Hagin's book on visions talked about a time in America where cities would be burned out and from the inside out. Is a war coming? Very likely. Is, are times going to get tough? In the natural, they are. In the spiritual, they're going to get better. But, but, but what is God saying to you and I? What does it take to get his approval? What does it take? What does America need now more than anything else? I'm going to read it to you. You ready? Because it's in the Bible. It's the same thing they needed 2,000 years ago. And he said to them, the harvest is great and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. Is there ever a time in your life where you've looked around and realized that there are sinners among us and there are ignorant people among us? Good Lord, I've talked to some people lately and went, oh my God, this person votes. I don't even want to tell you some of my stories of people I've met. And I thought, oh, God, you don't, you don't go to a voting booth, do you? But that, that was a big deal then, and it's a big deal now. If it ever was, God, why did, why did he create America, and why did he give us freedom? Just for ourselves? No. He gave us the greatest nation on the world and gave us the prosperity to be a light to the world and a city set on a hill. And I believe America has been that city that's set on a hill. And I think that if there ever was something that we've got to pray about now, more than anything else, it is the harvest. It is those among us who are not born again and not ready to meet the Lord. Now, let's talk about the time we're living in for just a moment before we get into this. This is 2022, July of 2022. We're in the end of a Shemitah year. What that means is Jewish time is made up of seven years of sevens, 49 years finished off by a 50th year, and God always always operates on his calendar and from the beginning of what we know as time he's never done anything apart from his calendar people say he could come back anytime no he can't 
And no, he won't. He will come back on time. Jesus was born on the calendar, somewhere on the calendar. But the day of Pentecost was on the calendar. The, the, the death of Jesus was on the calendar. Everything God's ever done. So right now we're in a calendar year that means that if I'm right, and I think I am, we're headed into this October, the beginning of the last seven years on this earth. That's pretty. That's like, wow. Then, then hold on a minute. What are we to do other than go to Walmart right now and get you some extra groceries? Squirrels at least know that. Is that fear? <laughs> it might be intelligence. Oh, boy. Okay. Go with me to Matthew 25. So I went to the Lord and I said, okay, show me what to do. I got, I, I got a 4th of July sermon I got to preach, and I want to know what you want me to do. And, I, and, and, he, and when he shows me, I go, wow, I never would have thought of that. Matthew 25. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that Jesus put a parable in the Bible for Americans? Yeah. That kind of shocked me a little bit. Like, I thought all the parables in the Bible were for the Jews in Jesus' day. But he actually put parables in here knowing that there was going to come a day when America was going to need a preacher to stand up and say, I need to explain something to you in terms you understand. So what is the one thing Americans understand? Money. Money. Don't shout me down. Money's not a cuss word. Neither is work. It's a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. All right. So money is something we all understand. That's, that drives what Americans are. And it's not immoral, it's not wrong. So I'm going to throw one at you. How would you like to have known about Amazon when they began? We got three people that really got that. Wouldn't you have liked to have dropped a few grand on Amazon? Where would you be living right now? And Bitcoin, not doing too good right now. Mine's, I've lost a couple hundred dollars on that. And, and, and my Tesla account's going down, and I'm thinking, Elon, do something. Anyway, never mind. So I'm not ignorant. I'm not ignorant of, of, of um, the, the, the best way, the wisest way to make money is let your money make money. When you go to bed at night, if your money's working, you don't have to work so hard. Zach, I'll just come over here and preach to you. So Jesus is going to tell a parable about investing. And I'm thinking, that's incredible that he gave us this parable. But I think it's apropos for the day we're living in. So I'd like to use it and read it to us today. Thank you, Lisa. Matthew 25, 14. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents. Now stop for a minute. He, talent is not playing a guitar. Even though we hear talents, you know, we have the talent show. 
A talent was a form of money. A talent was one year's wages. So this man is an investor who turned to someone and said, I'm going to make an investment in you, but what for? A return. Now let's stop right here. Let's stop right here. How many of you in here, other than Zach and Nikki, how many of y'all own rental houses? Anybody have rental rental houses? You, you, what'd you make the investment for? For the person renting it? For you. Now, now you want, there's two things you want out of that rental house. You want to buy it low and you want it to go up. Now, now think about this. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to buy a house in Arrow, a two-story house for $150,000, and I didn't do it. Someone just go ahead and just kick me right there just because I have kicked myself many times. That thing's worth about a half a million right now. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you should have bought that house. Well, I didn't. But yet, the next thing is when you buy a house, you want it to go up. But you at least want the payment to be more than your you know, you want, you want to service the debt and then have some money left over. So you want to make money more than one way. Am I right? So Jesus is here telling a parable about himself. And he's using the gospel and he's calling it, I have made an investment in you. What is he looking for when he returns? A return. So all of us, no matter who you are and where you are and what's going on in your life right now, there will come a day where all of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of what you did with your life. That's a heavy thought. I'm aware of that. I'm, I'm so aware of it. I have conditioned Everything I do in my life around that moment. Because it's coming. I will not do with Jesus what I did in high school. Goof off knowing a test was coming. I had one teacher that let me out and I went, glory to God. Thank you for mercy. English, 12th grade English. I couldn't stand 12th grade English. They were teaching me how to write a book, which, which I'm which I'm doing right now, and I should have paid attention. And I didn't. So I'm letting Justin do it. All right. Because I know his mother taught him well. Verse 16. He received five talents, went and traded with them, and made five more talents. Likewise, he received two, gained two more also. And he received one, went and dug in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, say long time, those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he that received five talents, brought five other talents, said, Lord, you deliver me five talents. I've gained five more talents beside these. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to say, I want to hear those words. I do too. I do too. Let's look at another one. I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. He also received two talents, came and said, Lord, you deliver me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. And I want you to realize what, what is he, what, what is, he's, he's telling us to 
very important factors he wants to see in you. Goodness and faithfulness. Good and faithful. Not just faithful. Not just good. Good and faithful. I'm going to tell you right now, American Christians are not always so faithful. A lot of people walk in and say, we're going to help you do this. And three months later, we never see them again. Did God tell you or did he not? Did he change his mind? Because apparently with some people, he's always changing his mind. I don't think he's changing his mind as much as you are. In marriage today, are you remaining faithful? Or is there someone out there better? Maybe your marriage is based on what you do. Are there sometimes it doesn't work? Sure. Jesus couldn't do anything with Judas. There are people, they're not going to change. And you're not under condemnation. You just walk away and, 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 and thank God he's not a Baptist. Because if Jesus was a Baptist, you could never get married again. Thank y'all. You know, I was divorced and remarried. Many people come and go, well, you don't know what I'm going through. I went, oh, yeah, I do too. But they told me, whatever you do, don't pastor. And I said, oh, don't worry, I won't. And I went to the Lord and I said, what do you want me to do? He said, pastor. And I said, you're going to get me killed. <laughs> But do I understand you? You bet I understand you. Been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt. She took the T-shirt with her when she left. <laughs> Never mind, I'm teasing. I'm being mean now. I'm just being mean. She took everything, and then Lisa threw the rest out in the street, and all those left was me. I said, well, you got the best of both worlds. You at least got me. Let's go, baby. You know, I mean, there's nothing left but me. <laughs> Having done all to stand, there wasn't nothing there but me. Let's go. I did have my Bible. I said, me and a Bible, we can do anything. We can go anywhere. All right, and we did. All right. Verse 24. And he received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I know you're a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. And the Lord answered and said, you wicked Lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to at least deposited my money with the bankers and my coming I would have released, received my bone back with interest. But now here, we're talking, we're talking talent, we're talking money. So, so, let's, so there, there's three people here. There's the five talent guy, there's a two talent guy, and there's a one talent guy. Now, based on what I just read a while ago in Luke, What's he looking for? People. He made an investment in you and I. You're born again freely, filled with the Spirit freely, mercy freely. And he, and, and he did that for you and in you. So you and I have to go, what am I doing with it? Now, here's the issue. When we read our Bible, very often when we think of the harvest, we think Billy Graham. Billy Graham, I watched him on YouTube the other night. Sure, he's going to be with the Lord, but he's still on YouTube. Preaching the gospel and what a powerful preacher he was. And he rocked America. Many people came forward and got born again. And then today we got Brother Hagin's going home to be with the Lord. I would say that Kenneth Hagin was a five-talent guy. He started a movement in the world 
There's 200 and something Bible schools all over the earth. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people that have been born again. T.L. Osborne did crusades of 50 to 100,000 since 1950 till he died a few years ago overseas all of his life. He's probably won more people to Jesus singularly than all other ministries combined since Jesus. What a powerful testimony. What a power, one man, what one man. So we'd have to say T.L. is a five-talent guy. And, and, we, and, and many of us are right now, um, if you haven't watched um, Mario Murillo, I, I enjoy watching him and what he's doing in California. I mean, he is in the middle of hell, yes. preaching the gospel, and people are getting born again. I mean, when you get a whole city of Democrats saved, you're an evangelist. Now he needs to go to Washington and get Democrats and Republicans say, that's like the biggest hell hole in America right now. That's enough of that. Mario Murillo would be a five, but what's a two? You know, there are people who will never be on TV and there are people who will never do what, um, what Rodney Howard Brown has done or, or what or what um, Jesse Duplantis has done, and I'm one of them. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with uh, a little church in a town that nobody knows the name of it. You ought to hear when I go to Tulsa, they go, and you're from Apuka? I said, that's a, a pretty close. And they said, what's Apuka mean? I said, it means big taters. I said, we don't have no taters, but that's what that means. Anyway, Anyway, so, so, you know, I mean, I, it's just odd, but, but you know what? That's what I do, and, I, and I'm okay with it. And there's a lot of ministers out there who pastor small churches, and, and you need small churches. You, listen, a small church is a whole lot better than a big church. I mean, if you, I mean listen, if, when you have children, you, you like, would you rather have three, three diapers or 300 diapers? Which one do you want? 300 diapers is not fun. That's a lot of pampers. So a mega church is not exactly the best thing going for, for men of God. But I consider myself to be like a two-talent guy. And I'm aware that I have giftings you don't have. I have things going on in me that God put in me in order to get this church going. But the biggest group of people the biggest group of ministers on the earth are the one-talent people. The largest, most influential group of ministers are you. That's quite a thought. And, and why is it that the church hadn't caught on to this? Because we look at one talent and go, I mean, that ain't nothing. But is that true? No, it's not. There are people you will minister to, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, Rodney Howard Brown, Kenneth Hagin, and myself, we'll never meet them. The largest group of lost are at your work. And you meet them every day. Let's, 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 are y'all Okay. I know you kind of went, whoa. 
There's one thing about a Tesla, when you drive it and you're on it, it goes. But when you get off of it and, whoa, it slows down by itself. I don't like that. I want it to keep going. Never mind. Y'all just, you just have to say amen every once in a while because these people do not understand power. Power. I like speed. That's why I'm buying Justin an airplane. You notice I said Justin, because I'm going to sit over there and read and pray in the Holy Ghost while he's out busting through crowds and say, Get, take, take me to Mark Hankins. Glory to God. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's go over there. Verse 20, I want to show you this. For then we are what? Say it louder. For Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's your talent. That's your talent. You have a talent, and God wants you to start using it. All right, now I got another scripture here. Um, Acts 8, verse 5. Let's go over there and let's read it. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed to the things that Philip spoke, both hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now you understand that what Philip is doing right now, he's running from Jerusalem, but he's coming through Samaria and a, and a mass crusade breaks out. People are getting saved, healed, and delivered in mass. I've been a part of those crusades. I've been able to preach in um, in, in uh, Chikazi, Ukraine, I've been able to preach in Russia. I've been able to preach in uh, Barinhia, Colombia to masses of people. And it's fun. It's, 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 it's nice standing there looking at a sea of humanity. And you're preaching the gospel and hands are going up, people getting saved. I was in Russia and preaching in a church in Russia. 500 people in the building and all 500 raised their hand and came forward. Got born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. That's, that, that's powerful, but that's not normal life. That's not normal life. So let's look at Philip again and go down to, um, what's the next scripture? You probably know it better than I do. 26 through 40, let's read it. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise, go to the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as he went, behold, a man of Ethiopian, a man, one man, a eunuch of great authority under cadence, the queen of Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was in his chariot reading the book of prophet Isaiah and he had no idea what he was reading. And God pulled Philip out of a mass crusade to go to talk to one person. So which one's more important? How dare we? How dare we? Which one's more important? One guy or a hundred guys? I think they're both. I think that, I think that in one instance, there's going to always be people who will stop and go to a crusade, but the vast majority of people will never go to a crusade and never darken this church. What are we to do with them? God has a plan, and it's you. On your deathbed, I will guarantee you, you will not be counting your money. And I tell you, if I had one more life to live, I'd have made more money. 
I would have put bigger tires on my truck if I just could do it all over again. Are you going to be laying there praying that your kids make it to heaven? Are you going to be asking God, I should have talked to Mrs. Jones when she came to me and prayed with me. I'm going to tell a story right now. And um, I'm going to get into your emotions a little bit. Are you ready? When I got born again, um, well, I was thankful for what God did for me. There was a, God got me a job at Certainty called, um, and, I, and I went to work, and I worked in a bagger, on a bagger and, and bagged um, insulation. Oh, it's, that's a bad job. You itch all the time. Finally, I left there and went out in the warehouse. There was a young black man that came to work every day riding on a Harley Sportster, and he had a bad attitude, and I didn't like him. And every time I'd get around him, he was always snapping and smarting off, and I went to the Lord. I said, I want you to get him out of here in the name of Jesus. I mean, I just, did, I just didn't want to see his ugly face. Every day I'd come to work. Wait, da, 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 da. I'm going, buddy, you have a bad attitude. Here I am trying to live for God, and you're just wrecking my day. <laughs> and one day the Lord said to me, he said, you wouldn't think that way if you knew him. I said, okay, what? He said, have you noticed that he rides his motorcycle to work every day and he doesn't have a coat on. I said, no, I didn't notice that. He said, you should. He doesn't own one. He said, did you know that his parents gave him up to adoption when he was only a baby and his aunt raised him and he, and he grew up, his bed was in the living room? Did you know he's never known his parents? Do you know he's never been loved? Do you know he's been kicked from pillar to post all his life? And he came down here to start over again. And the only thing that boy owns is that motorcycle. And he's bitter at the world. I said, I didn't know. He said, I want you to pray for him. I love him. I got my attitude straight. So I went home that afternoon, and I had an old army coat. Y'all remember the kind with the fur inside and all that? And I came to work, and I walked up to him. I think his name was TJ. I said, TJ, I have a gift for you. Now, this is his response. I don't want your coat, honky. I don't need no charity out of you, white boy. And I stopped, and I looked at him, and I said, TJ, I owe you an apology. I have not been nice to you. I actually don't like you. He said, well, I don't like you either. I said, but I did not know about your childhood. I said, I didn't know about your mom and dad. I did not know about your life. And he looked at me with anger and said, who the H told you that? That's none of your business. I said, well, the Lord Jesus did. And I said, and I am a Christian, and you know it. And I have not been nice to you. And I want to tell you I love you and I would like for you to take this coat. And he began to weep. Tears went down his face. It was so cold outside. The tears froze on his face. And him and I became friends.
God loves TJ. Now, what was I there for? TJ. Are there people out there like TJ? The world's full of TJs. Here I'm a Christian, trying to be a Christian in front of a bunch of heathens. I don't like them. That wasn't the last time I learned anything or God tried to teach me something. You ready for another one? How am I doing, Lisa? Am I doing all right? After I went to Bible school, I went to Ramah. You heard me tell this story, but I'm going to tell it again. You need to hear it again. Some things you just need to hear over and over and over, and I need to tell it over and over. But the whole time I'm at Ramah, I'm reading books on ministry, and I have this idea that ministry is somewhere, and it's connected to a pulpit. That means there's a place you go, you stand up, you open a Bible, you preach to everybody, they go hoorah, they buy your tapes and CDs, you go home and you enjoy, you have a wonderful life and you write books and you're on television and then you're a, big, and you're a hot dog. Like Kenneth Copeland and the rest of them. And I just wanted to be a big hot dog. A little ketchup, a little mustard, a few onions, no relish please, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to be in ministry. So every day at work, I'm at work, and I've been at Ramah for two years, and I went off an apartment, and I prayed every day about what God wanted me to do and where he wanted me to go, and, what, and, and, and I want to know, what do you want me to do for ministry? And one day I'm in the apartment, and he said, your boss, Jan, is not saved. And I said, so? <laughs> like, who cares? She's Italian, God. I mean, she's a hot-headed, domineering woman. And I don't like her either. And I can't wait to get out of here and go in ministry. And he said something that day, it just made me mad. He said, until Jan gets saved, don't talk to me about ministry. I went, that is not fair. I got two years of Bible school and it's all hinging on a hot Italian getting born again. That ain't right. What if she don't get saved? I'm stuck in Tulsa. Well, you understand I got, I got on this. Jan is coming to Jesus. And I quit praying about my ministry and I started praying about a person. I mean like a human, like an unimportant person. You're getting the irony of my stupidity right here, aren't you? What God is trying to show me, ministry is people. You numb nut. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> I got ministry all around me and I'm waiting on my ministry. I mean, people are going to hell everywhere I am and I want my ministry. You can't get, that's dumb as a rock. Oh man, my God, I started praying for Jan. I prayed for Jan, prayed for Jan. One day the Lord said, ask me to get her to church. I said, you know, you think, well, just get her to church. Why are you asking me to ask you? You're God, get her to church. But he wanted me to, you know why he had to ask me? Because he can't do anything you don't ask. So I said, get her to church. I walked out of that apartment. I walked in, back into my my office, Jan went, where do you go to church? And I looked at God and I went, okay. if you answered all my prayers that fast, you and I would be doing real good. <laughs> That's like the fastest, 
prayer I had ever had. I mean, it was like two minutes. I said, well, I go to Grace Fellowship. Bobby Andy is the pastor. I gave her the address. Well, the next Sunday, her and her husband show up. Yes. She gets saved? No. I called the church. I said, do you have a prayer room during service? I said, I've got some praying to do. And Jan's the next Sunday. Jan's in there listening to Bobby Andy and her husband. I'm in the back prayer room going, God, get her. Get her, God, get her. Third Sunday, she gets up and walks the aisle and gets saved. Oh, happy day. Jan is saved. I walked out and I went, Jan's saved. And he said, her husband's not. And I went, that ain't right. That ain't right. But this time, I decided I ain't waiting on Bobby Andian. You see, I, all the stuff I've learned, it's been more like I had to. So the next day, I walked into, into the, the apartment complex in the clubhouse, and I walked up and I said, Scott, have you considered Jesus? I mean, I'm not waiting on Bob. I ain't, I'm not praying for you to go to church and get born. I mean, I just, are you ready to get born again right now? Because I got to get out of Tulsa. He said, I have been considering it. I said, good, open up a Bible, and I led him to the Lord right there. I mean, I'm tired of waiting on God. Now you're understanding. So he said, well, so he got born again. And so then he said, would you like to come to dinner tonight? We're having pork chops, black-eyed peas, rice with gravy over it. And I went, yeah. We've invited a friend of ours named Ron, who's a car salesman, and that night he taught me how to buy a brand new car off a showroom floor after I led him to the Lord at the dinner table. Three people in, what, a week and a half. And the Lord said to me, he says, pack up, you're going to Orlando. And that's when I came here. But that day the Lord was, 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 was trying to instill in me and, and I'd like to tell you that I learned my lesson then. God knows I didn't. So are you ready for one more story? Let me tell you one more. After I was here and was worked with Tom Copeland for a short while um, as a youth pastor, went through a divorce, Lisa and I remarried, and I'm out of ministry again. I'm not doing anything. Laying concrete block. And I hate, con- I hate laying concrete block. But it's money. And so we're building hotels on our drive, and I come home every night, and I go off in a room, and what am I praying about? Say ministry. Ministry. And the Lord says to me one night when I'm in there, pray for Nancy. And I went, okay, God, help Nancy. Now, back to ministry. I still, I'm still, listen, I didn't learn it. I mean, if you're slow, welcome to the club. So he kept prying me to pray for Nancy. One night, we were at Lisa's mother's house, and the spirit of intercession came on me. If you don't know what that means, it's Romans 8, 26, when you begin to groan in the spirit. In other words, you take the place of another human being in the spirit. And I began to groan in the Holy Ghost and pray in tongues, and I began to cry, I'm lost, I'm lost. And I felt like I had died and gone to hell. And I said, God, who am I praying for? And the Holy Spirit, so sweet, said, please don't stop. Please don't stop praying. My sister Nancy had died 
and had gone to hell. And she was down in hell. And the Holy Ghost came on me. Well, see if I had prayed before, like he asked me to. But Nancy's soul is weighed in the balances because of me. This is heavy. There are people who will be in heaven because you're here today. There are people who will be in hell if you don't listen. There are people, the, the five and the twos will never reach. That you will. And they're, they're there now. We have a freedom. Why do we have a freedom? Freedom to preach. So I'm there and I began to groan and intercede. And finally, after a few minutes, I began to laugh in the spirit. And I knew that my prayer had been answered. And I said, Father, who am I praying for? He says, you're praying for your sister Nancy. Call her. Call her on the phone. So I called down her and her husband lived in, in, in Miami. I said, where's Nancy? And Mark is crying. She left me. She moved to Boston with her boyfriend. I don't know where she is. And so I called the phone number he gave me of her. Mark and her and Mark were not living right. She's going to jump out of hell and go back to hell. But she's so in a mess. She, I mean, she's just a mess. So I got a hold of her. I finally got a hold of her, and I said, Nancy, what are you doing? She said, I can't, I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand it anymore. I said, I'm sending you a plane ticket. You come to my house. So long story, I finally got her boyfriend to send my sister and put her on the plane, sent her to Orlando. I picked her up and took her to my mother's house. My, you know, mother's dote. Mama's doting over Nancy, and I can't, we can't even help her. So I looked at mom and I said, bring her to my house for dinner and then leave. Nancy steps into my house and look at what I'm going to show you. She is so depressed. She sat on my couch and looked at one spot on the wall for an hour and never bat her eye. Depressed. What do we do? What's ministry? He's sitting on my couch. Not a pulpit. It's a person. I got my Bible out. Nancy knew enough Bible. I'd say something to her and she'd look at me and go, yeah. No. I said, pray with me. Got her born again. When I did, that, that goofy look left. And she started looking around. I said, okay. Got her born again. She prayed sinner's prayer, got saved. I said, let's get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Sat right there and went through Acts, Luke 11. Laid hands on her. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And she laid in my living room and laughed for four hours. Laughing, drunk in the spirit. Just lead her, lay out there and have a Holy Ghost revival. And she got up from the floor, normal. Then I had to call Miami and get her husband saved. And that was when this stopped being ministry. And you know what ministry is now? It's right here. 
but I'm further from ministry than you are. When I worked construction and I told you the story of me and being put on an all-black crew, I didn't say that trying to be racial. It's just God put me in an environment that was not normal to me. And what do you think we talked about? Everything. You can talk to people one-on-one, and they'll say things they won't say in church. We talked about girls, sex, racism, heaven, hell, Jesus, preachers, Jimmy Swagger. We talked about everything. And they don't mind, they don't pull punches when they talk. But every day we'd have lunch together, pull up concrete block, open up our brown paper sacks, and we'd start talking. Well, if they got to me, what do you think I talked about? The Lord. That's the answer to everything. Do you think I got them all saved in a week? No. What about three months? No. 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 But I remember the day that I pull up a concrete block and I'm sitting down and a a man there named Omar Walker who was a black panther hated white people. Hated white people. And I work with him every day. And he comes up and he pulls up a concrete block and he sits beside me and he said, Morgan, what you got? And I'm thinking, I don't know how to answer your question. And he said, I'm being serious. He said, we give you hell. I said, that you do. (laughs) A lot of it is joke, is in fun. When you're the only white guy among black people, you get a lot of mud on your boots and not on the board. They play tricks on you all the time. I mean, one day they sat back and started calling me a new name, Swaggart. Hey, Swaggart. I said, God help me. What in the world do I say to these guys? And so he gave me an idea, and I called him. I said, all you guys come over here. I said, you think what Swaggart did is wrong? And they went, Yeah. That lion, blankety, 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 blank. I said, well, the Lord told me to tell you that judgment begins at the house of God. You boys are next. (laughs) They went, oh, crap. (laughs) And they went back to work. And see, this is what happens at work. I I had to learn how to preach to y'all. And see, people like I just met Ted. See, I can sit down with Ted and we can have a good time. We can talk about stuff we can't talk about in church. Because we have old women in here who fall out in the power and it won't be the Holy Ghost. And the stuff me and Ted would talk about. Amen. Omar pulls up a block and says, what you got? I said, what do you mean? He said, I give you H. And I said, yes, sir, you do. He said, you have something and I want it. I said, are you wanting Jesus? He said, yes, I do. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God put me there to put up with all of that mess for Omar? You bet he did. Omar got born again, did missions trips with me, and him and Brenda started a church in in Claremont. 
and he died at 50 years of age of a heart attack. But God knew Omar would die soon, and he sent a man to work there to get him born again. I believe he put me with Jan. I believe he put me here for you. And let me ask you a question. Where did he put you? You're not just there to turn a buck. There's a lot more going on in your life than a dollar. You have a talent. And there's going to come a day when he's going to ask you what you did with it. And he used the term lazy wicked. Why would he say that? Because so often we think that our talent is not much. Is the people you're working with valuable? It's wicked to think that they're not. And it's laziness for you not to even learn how to witness. Well, I don't know nothing about witnessing. Well, you can learn. When I got born again, I didn't know nothing. I learned doing it wrong a lot. I talked to a lot of people that did nothing. I mean, they just, nothing happened. I used to go to the city jail in Tulsa. No one left. That's supposed to be funny. But you want to, now see, the reason why I want to hear responses out of you, because when you're in the city jail preaching, you're getting responses. Shut up! <laughs> I hadn't got that response. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, let's go over there. I'm going to close with this, I think. And he gave some to be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? What are you doing here? For the equipping of who? You. Why? For work of what? What's ministry? People. What is the Lord waiting on in this nation? people. I'm going to give you an assignment and I'm going to ask you to dive in here with me. I want you to make a list of the people that you work with and I want you to start praying for the Lord to draw them to. Don't don't pray, God save them. He already did that. Say, Heavenly Father, you said no man comes to the Father but you draw him. I'm asking you to draw Judy that I work with to yourself. And then I'm going to ask you to draw Linda, who I work with, and Joe to yourself. And I'm going to ask you to open up a door for me to talk to them or for someone else to talk to them if need be. And I'm going to ask you to use them in a mighty way. But I pray for them to come out of darkness to light. Now, Satan, get your hands off of them in Jesus' name. My mother did that for me. That was why I just, Justin just got my book off Amazon. We've got to send it back. We've got a couple of typos in there. And one of the things is, is I tell the story about me being in the woods and the Holy Ghost come on me. My mother's praying for me and the Holy Ghost is coming on me. When I'm out hunting and talking to me about heaven and hell. And I'm going, what in the world is going on? I'm trying to deer hunt. And I'm out here thinking about hell. 
and the fact that I'm going. Holy Ghost all over me. Holy Ghost get all over people. And the next time you're at work, I'm going to use you. Don't. And, they, and, and somebody walks up and says, and I had a bad day. My kids. Man, it's just, God. You ever had one of those days? That's an open door for you to say, do you need prayer? 99, 9, 10, oh, yeah, I need prayer. Don't you do it? They're praying for them. Say, here, let me give you a scripture. Call on the Lord and he'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. Get, arm yourself with scripture. And then look and say, I'm going to pray and you're going to pray with me. If they're not saved, trick them. I'm going to show you how to do that. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. I do believe that Jesus died on that cross and rose from the dead for me. And I do believe that because of his blood, I can be forgiven. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And now, Heavenly Father, I want to pray over my daughter. I'm going to pray over the daughter till they get saved. Get them saved. Amen. You say, well, women, isn't, isn't that slick? Yes. I mean, sl- yeah, it works. Slide them in. I had a boy came to my youth group years ago. His name was, uh, what was his name? The guy from Norde, someplace over there. Roth. I think of his, what, he, what nationality he was. He was what? Swedish. So here's this boy that a couple of kids brought in the youth group. And in Sweden, a youth group is an orgy. So the kids invited him to the youth group, and he went, yeah. And he comes to my house, and we all have our clothes on. He don't know what kind of orgy this is. And we're worshiping the Lord, and he's watching it, and he has never seen anything like this in his life. And he's one of those students that you bring over, and they stay in your home and exchange students. And so I said, would you like to accept Jesus? And he said, nah, or da, da. And I went, okay. I thought, I thought he said yes. And he looked at me and went, no. And I said, oh, okay. And I grabbed his hand and I prayed a sinner's prayer. All the teenagers gathered around him and laid hands on him and prayed. And then we celebrated him getting born again. (laughs) And when he got finished, he got in the car and he said, I told him, da. And he thinks I'm a Christian. And on the way home, he bowed his head and said, I didn't know it was that easy. I met that God. And he got saved on the way home. He came back the next week and said, I didn't get saved at your house. I said, yes, you did. He said, no, I told you no. I said, you said da. He said, da's no. I didn't say ya. He said, I came for the orgy. I said, we don't have orgies. He said, I found that out. (laughs) 
He said, but I accepted Jesus on the way home. Thank you for praying for me and with me and showing me how easy it was to be born again. I'm, you're closer, you're closer to ministry than I am. I miss being where you are. God loves people. I don't have any trouble sitting down with people not saved. Because when I wasn't saved, I know what that's like. And God had mercy on me. And everywhere I go, I ask God for the opportunity to be a light. Now you understand, now I actually have one of these. But I also have 300 people listening. That what if we all decided to get serious about what Jesus calls the harvest? It's great, and the laborers are few. I'm not asking you to go be Rodney Howard Brown or Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I am asking you to be a Christian. If you've lost your joy, I'm going to tell you where it went. You're spending your life on yourself. I cannot thrill you enough on Sunday to get you to the place of joy when you sit and lead a sinner to the Lord. You say, I want to see a miracle. Goodbye. Have a good day. Go and become a miracle. The miracles are out there. There are people in your life right now. God has placed them in your life. And they need you to step up to the plate. I'm not trying to put you in an uncomfortable situation. Sometimes it's nothing more. And it doesn't always have to be the lost. It might be somebody who's born again. They're just having a hard time. Outside of the walls of this church, I'm going to make a statement that's going to be very positive about myself. Y'all have forgotten more Bible than they've ever heard. You know more than most of them ever heard in their life. There's people out there right now, and they hurt. Life is kicking them. Marriages aren't doing good. Job's not doing good. Life is just not good. And just having a friend walk up and go, let me pray for you. Let me love on you a little bit. Me and Omar became friends. Me and TJ became friends. I made a lot of friends out of people that used to didn't like me. Of course, I have a few people who used to like me and don't like me anymore. Sometimes the truth is people don't want to hear the truth. Sometimes it would just make them mad. So I thought you were going to preach on the 4th of July. I just did. We're a free people. Why? What are you doing with it? We live in the greatest nation in the world. God wants you to enjoy your life. Let me give you a little word of wisdom. If you haven't bought your brisket by now, 
There's probably nothing left at Winn-Dixie but hot dogs. But anyway, enjoy the day tomorrow. We found that out the hard way. Anyway, I was going to call you and say I need some steak. But anyway, we are celebrating the 4th of July, and God bless America. I'm ready to fight. I'm not giving my freedoms up. But I'm also not going to waste my talent. I'm not as smart as you think I am. But I do, I use what little I have. Somebody said to me one day, he says, you talk on my level. That's because I am on your level. (laughs) I'm really just a dumb Georgia boy. I mean, I just ain't that smart. But I've taken what he gave me and used it to the best of my ability. Greatest joy I have in my life when I heard of Megan with those teenagers the other night. She had almost 20-something kids in that room speaking in tongues and full of God. Yeah, that just thrills me. When I hear of people in this church getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, I just you have no idea. That may be the greatest miracle there is to watch God change someone's life. I want you to take your life right now today and do something with it maybe you've never done. I want you to give it to God to use you. All right, I'm out of time, but can I tell you one more story? I'm going to anyway. Say yes. I'm really not asking. But I do. I do. I'm aware of time. Right after I got born again and... and, the Lord told me the story of the nuts and the bolts and the washers. And I was asking him one day about, a, about something, and he says, want to hear a story? And whenever he tells me that, I know he's fixing to teach me something in the Bible. But he always tells it to me in story form. He said, there was a man that owned a hardware store. And he didn't have any children. And it was one of them old hardware stores where there's pickle barrels and cookies in the jar. I mean, you know, just everything, clothing, hardware, rakes, everything's in the store. And he said, um, he got an idea, put a sign in the window and said, help wanted. Next day, a little boy going down the street, going to play baseball, saw the sign and took it out of the window and came in and said, uh, you need work? He said, yes, I do. He said, um, what do you have to do? He said, I, I got some barrels here in the back. One's got nuts in it the nuts and bolts or washers are in the barrel and I need you to put the nuts in one the washers in one and the bolts in the other can you do it he says I can little boy gets in starts throwing nuts bolts and washers he gets to the bottom of the barrel there's a silver dollar laying in the bottom of the barrel little boy gets up guts in the barrel puts it in his pocket walks out tells the man I did the job he walks back there and said yes you did takes him to the old cash register, cha-ching, and pays the little boy for the work. When the little boy went home and he closed the hardware store that night, he went back and threw all the nuts and bolts and washers back in the barrel. Put the sign back in the window. Next day, a little boy's coming down the street, grabs the sign out of the window and says, do you still need help? He says, yes, I do. He says, what do you have? He said, I have a barrel back here full of nuts and bolts and washers. Can you separate them? He said, yes, I can. And he goes through the same thing again. Gets to the bottom of the barrel. What's in it? A silver dollar. Back then, a silver dollar was a day's wages. You can buy a lot of stuff with a silver dollar. 
Happens three times. Third little boy comes down, nuts, bolts, washers. Third little boy gets to the bottom of the barrel, silver dollar, puts it in his pocket. Goes out, says, I did the job. Man looks at it. And then he reaches in his pocket and he says, I found something I believe belongs to you. And he handed the man the silver dollar. And the man looked at him and said, Would you like to own a hardware store? I will train you. I'm going to die soon. I have no one to leave my store to. What's he doing? He's testing me. I said, God, that's a cute story, but I don't really know what it means. He said the first little boy went down the street and invited all of his friends out to ice cream. And he became popular. Second little boy went home and hid the money for a rainy day. The third little boy gave it back to the man who owned it. I said, okay. He said, I gave you life. I gave you eternal life. What have you done with it? That was the day I took my life and I said, Jesus, I give you me. You think he's going to give heaven to everybody? This is a test. You're only here long enough for God to find out what you're made out of. He wants you to reach down and go, I have something I want to give back to you. Me. He says, you want heaven? I'll give it all to you. What are you doing with your life? Are you spending it all on yourself? You wake up in the morning and all you care about is making a dollar bill? Is there something more important? There's something a lot more important. You ready to pray? Father, I pray right now as I close this service that many people here take that dollar bill that's sitting in that dollar in their pocket and give it back to the owner. I pray that right now we take the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation and use them for your glory. I believe you're looking for a move of God, and I believe it starts with us. And I don't think it starts with Mario Murillo only or Jonathan Shuttlesworth only. I believe it starts with us in this room. Father, what would happen to a church if every one of us went out and began to share and minister to somebody? What would happen to the city? If we, if we all decided to think this way, I pray that we walk out of this building today completely different and we realize that we're the greatest nation on the earth. We're the greatest group of people. We've been given more than any other group of people that have ever lived. I pray that when we stand before you, we hear, well done good and faithful servant. I want you to say this. I will hear. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Father, I will use my talent for the people around me. You invested in me. I will use this gift for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. 
We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.